Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with us, as always, is our journalist and storyteller, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. Sunday, November 13, 1960, was a very significant time in American history. Just five days earlier, Americans had elected a young, handsome Catholic named John F. Kennedy, to the most important office in the land, in one of the closest presidential races in history. That Sunday, Ohio newspapers were filled with analysis and opinion on why polls in the state were wrong, and Ohio had unexpectedly gone to Richard Nixon. It was also that Sunday when, down in New Orleans, a black mother named Lucille Bridges was preparing her six-year-old daughter Ruby to take her place in history. The next morning, Ruby Bridges would hold her mother's hand and march to the city's first desegregated school through a gauntlet of angry adults that hurled epithets and shook Barbie doll-sized coffins in her face. It was a spectacle that would be preserved in film, in books, in song, and in a heart-rending painting by Norman Rockwell. Life is also going to change this day in Paulding, Ohio. Not for the nation, but no less dramatically for the villagers who called Paulding home and for the Eagleson family who lived just a few blocks from the heart of town. Paulding was home to about 2,300 people, tiny but big enough in this sparsely populated county to make it the seat of Paulding County. That's along Ohio's northwest border, a 20-minute drive from Fort Wayne, Indiana. In the 1800s, the good citizens of Paulding named their village for Revolutionary War hero John Paulding, best known for his role in ending the treason of Benedict Arnold, a name that every schoolchild is taught as being synonymous with traitor. But surely, neither the origins of Paulding nor the historic events going on in the nation were on the minds of the Eagleson sisters. 14-year-old Nancy, a freshman at Paulding High School, and a 4-year-old Cheryl, the daughters of Donald and Betty Eagleson. 
To them, November 13 was just supposed to be another carefree Sunday as they made plans to go to the movies. Newspapers never recorded the name of the movie the girls saw that afternoon. I looked over the list of new releases and couldn't find anything that seemed of particular interest to a four-year-old. Maybe they opted for John Wayne's North to Alaska or the new Lucille Ball comedy, The Facts of Life. Nancy and Cheryl walked to the movie theater in downtown Paulding from their home, just a few blocks away. And after the film ended, in the twilight that hovered around 7.30 p.m., they headed back home. They were just five houses from their own when a car pulled up to the curb. Nancy moved off the sidewalk to better hear what the stranger was saying. He was offering the girls a ride. No thanks, Nancy said, but she was close to the car now, so close that in the space of a heartbeat, the man was able to grab her, drag her into the car, and speed away. Four-year-old Cheryl screamed, then raced to the closest home. It was a neighbor, John Larson. The family knew him well. He'd even looked after the girls from time to time when their parents were both at work. Larson called the Paulding County Sheriff, and the sheriff enrolled the help of the Ohio Highway Patrol, which sent four cars from their Van Wert office to the scene of the abduction. It was a big car, got my sister, Cheryl told authorities. The car was light-colored. The man wore horn-rimmed glasses. And so the search began. Deputies and troopers didn't find Nancy Eagleson. But she wasn't missing for long. She was discovered less than six hours after she had been snatched from her street. She was found eight miles from Paulding, off County Road 176, in a hamlet that the locals called Junction, where two friends were out hunting for raccoons in the early morning. It was just after 2.30 a.m. The men, 38-year-old Joseph France and 43-year-old Kenneth Nelson, saw something in the woods about 100 feet from the road, something they briefly thought was a discarded Halloween costume. But it was Nancy, fully dressed but for her underwear, which had been removed and tossed to the side. There was no attempt to hide the body, but it was still just crazy luck that anybody had found her. These woods and the surrounding fields were plenty remote enough that she might have gone unnoticed for a long, long time. The coroner will determine that she had been raped, then shot once in the face with a small caliber weapon, probably within an hour and a half of her abduction. Her body was left in an area where the ground was covered with fall leaves that obscured any potential tire tracks or other possible evidence. There was so little to go on. The only witness was four years old. Sheriff John Keeler told the reporters the only facts he had was there was a man and he drove a car. That very Monday, the Paulding Sheriff got a call from the police in Chicago wanting to compare notes. Chicago was 230 miles away, but darned if they didn't have a similar incident on Saturday, the day before Nancy was taken. In Chicago, it was nine-year-old Gloria Kowalczyk 
who had been dragged into a car off the street, raped, shot in the head, and abandoned off the side of an isolated road. It was a long shot that the two events would be connected, but the killer could be someone crossing the country. The people of Paulding wanted to believe that. Surely it had to be some big city stranger passing through, not somebody local. But for one reason or another, authorities in Chicago and Paulding dropped the idea of a shared killer just as fast as it had been proposed. On Thursday, Nancy Eagleson was laid to rest. More than 500 people attended her funeral service at the Church of Christ and her burial at Love Oak Cemetery. That was nearly 25% of the community. Imagine if a quarter of everyone living in your community came to your funeral. The Paulding Sheriff had his hands full. He had three men, and none of them experienced at investigating a murder. But they were working around the clock. Detectives rounded up every known sexual offender in the area, taking their statements one by one and verifying alibis. Police went to Van Wert to talk to a man who had been picked up for trying to entice two young girls into his car. But it turned out he couldn't have been where Nancy was the night of the 13th. A Paulding business owner stepped forward saying he'd heard his own name being tossed about in rumors. He insisted police question him and polygraph him to clear his name. They did. A month later, the sheriff admitted the case was at a standstill. They didn't know who killed Nancy Eagleson, but they had the names of 30 men who didn't. A reward fund grew. The local prosecutor office started it with $1,000. Police fraternities and social clubs and business owners tossed in more until it grew to nearly 7000 Sheriff Keeler couldn't hide his own surprise that this crime had happened at all. A girl kidnapped from her own street within sight of seven houses on a Sunday evening when everybody would have been home. I almost don't believe it happened, Keeler said. At the request of the FBI, local newspapers were running tips on how parents could educate their kids about not talking to strangers. They published a picture the kids could color to reinforce the lesson. The drawing showed a girl walking home from school and a man hiding behind a tree with a bag of candy in his hand. Color it and remember the rule, the picture said. The abduction, rape, and murder of Nancy Eagleson was never solved. And in time, evidence in her case disappeared. Nancy's personal belongings, her dress, her purse, her scarf, a shoe simply vanished. And then this interesting bit of news in 2013. There was a renovation at the old Paulding Jail, the now 150-year-old red brick building where Sheriff John Keeler and his detectives once spent their days and nights in pursuit of Nancy's killer. The owners of All Trades Restoration Company, Jeff and Cassie Hollis, had purchased the old building from the county earlier that year and wanted to use it for overnight paranormal investigations. A reporter, Nancy Whitaker of the Van Wert Times Bulletin, 
had been talking to the Hollises about what ghosts they might find there and mentioned to them the Nancy Eagleson case and how the evidence had been stored there, including her bloody dress, purse, scarf, and a shoe. That's when Jeff Hollis said, You won't believe this, but I found a shoe. Turns out, during the restoration, Cruz had knocked out parts of a basement wall and found a narrow passageway between stone walls. And there on the floor was a small-sized black shoe and a torn piece of material. Nancy Eagleson's family still lived in the area. They were invited to have a look at the shoe. Nancy's then-aged mother, Betty, looked at it and said, It could have been Nancy's. It kind of looked like the shoes her daughter would have been wearing at that time. Paulding County Sheriff Jason Landers then took possession of the shoe and the torn cloth, and the building owners agreed to stop renovations for a couple of days until the basement area could be more thoroughly checked. The sheriff called the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children to get instructions on how to handle the find and two vans from the state's Bureau of Criminal Investigation were sent to the scene. In the end, the BCI couldn't get any DNA from the shoe or the material, and there's no proof that they belong to Nancy, but it has certainly added more mystery to this story. After all, if it's not Nancy's, whose is it? And why was it walled up in a tunnel beneath the jail? While Nancy Eagleson's case is as cold as ever, it certainly has gotten more attention in recent years. Thanks to that old jail renovation and the find of the mystery shoe, the Travel Channel traveled to Paulding in March of last year to film an episode of Portals to Hell, a show that investigates old historic buildings. And as luck would have it, we're just in time to see it. According to TravelChannel.com, they plan to air that episode this coming March the 20th at 3 p.m. So stick it on your calendar. And thank you to Travis, an Ohio Mysteries listener who suggested this case for us. That's it for our 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-sized Ohio Mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week. May all of your mysteries have happy endings. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.